This program contains explicit content and subject matter which may be unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I have spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. And as you know, we are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is G, and G is for gay men and relationship models. In many areas and for many years, gay men have been seen as less likely to engage in committed relationships and more likely to be non-monogamous. And and it seems that that's developed into this sort of split between either casual relationships or committed long-term relationships, and there's nothing really in between that's talked about regularly. It's time to talk about the vast landscape of colors and shades of gray in between, a hookup, and getting married. Joining me to examine all areas about gay men and relationships is Raheem Thawer. Raheem is a registered social worker who works as a psychotherapist, family health teacher on a family health team in Toronto, and as a consultant in private practice. He operates from a harm reduction, sex-positive, anti-oppressive, trauma-informed approach, providing psychotherapy to newcomer, racialized, queer, I believe, I may have just pronounced that wrong, I'll apologize, trans, HIV-affected communities around issues of anxiety, depression, trauma, body image, and problem substance use. Raheem also supervises Masters of Social Work and Counseling Psychology students, has taught as a post-secondary instructor at George Brown College, Centennial College, and Ryerson University. He developed curriculum for Centennial College's Addiction and Mental Health Worker Program. Raheem is a co-editor of a local history anthology, Any Other Way, How Toronto Got Queer, which was shortlisted for the 2017 Toronto Book Awards. And he's one of the founding members of Ismaili Queers, Advocates for Pluralism, is part of the national core organizing team with Salam Canada, which is an LGBTQ Muslim organization. Welcome to the show, Raheem. Thank you. Thank you for that great introduction. I hope I didn't butcher too many pronunciations. Not at all. You know all kinds of things about me. So listen, I'm, I'm, I think this is a really great topic because it's something that people don't talk about much. And the perception, um, even in the LGBT community, yeah, remains yeah. this idea of either you're kind of doing the heterosexual model, in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, so you're married, um, yeah. or that's where you're heading, or it's still very much a casual hookup hmm. culture. Hmm. What's happened to the middle? <laughs> That's a great question. I think um, I think there's a lot happening in the middle, but it's less talked about. Mm-hmm. So I think what a lot of gay men in particular struggle with is this divide you just talked about. I think identifying um, with a sexual minority comes with its own kind of politics. So you get acculturated and socialized into 
like a new community after you come out. And that new community lets you know that um, sex is very central in our community. And mm-hmm. because sexuality is where we've been marginalized, um, being able to celebrate sex and have it when we want becomes part of liberation and part of our identity. I think what's complicated is that we've internalized a lot of messages around uh, the value or meanings of casual sex. And we've also internalized uh, a lot of the values dominant culture tells us around long-term relationships and casual sex. Which looks like long-term relationships, marriage, good, mm-hmm. and casual sex, bad. I mean, yeah. a, lot, a lot of what we're told is, you know... Totally. You shouldn't hook up. That's not, you know, that, that's sex for pleasure and sex for connection that isn't going to lead to a long-term mar- a relationship, living together, marriage, some form that looks monogamous. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we're at a lose-lose because if I want to pursue casual sex, I know that there's going to be lots of rewards. There's lots of good things about it. Maybe I'll feel validated. I'll get to explore new sides of my sexuality. Um I'll get to uh, meet new people, but it comes with challenges. Maybe it'll activate my shame. Maybe I'll get anxious about HIV and STI, or at least have to get tested more frequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe people will see me as less adult or less mature. That's part of a dominant narrative. uh, Because people sometimes will say, oh, yeah, you have casual sex, but only until you meet that right person. That's right. right? There's always one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then if you do the long, if you're like in a long-term relationship, um, I think some of the rewards are just what everybody thinks, you know, like deeper connection. You have a witness for a lot of your uh, difficult moments in life. Um, uh, you get to work through conflict in a novel way, right? There's lots of benefits of long-term relationships, uh, but then there's new challenges. And I think when you're living in the gay community and scene, there's lots of people in open in relationships, which is great, but also manifests as a kind of pressure. So I'm in a long-term relationship, and now I'm thinking, what if I wanted it to be open? How do I negotiate that? And that is, that's not a thing that's taught anywhere. And so when we look outside of ourselves, we just see people doing a thing, but we don't know how they got there. And I think that gets very tricky for people. So that's really interesting because I actually do a lot of work in that area. Um, uh-huh. And I do a lot of, and I do quite a bit with gay men in that area. Right. Where, um, <laughs> <We need it. laughs> and and what often happens is couples present one of two ways. Either they've already started to try to open things up and yeah. some disaster has happened. Yeah. Right. Or they don't even present like that's what they want to do. They present with difficulties with their sex life with each other. Uh-huh. Right. Like we're not having enough sex or we're not having the kind of sex I want to have. Um, and we've been trying to deal with it and that's not working. And that then after a period of time comes out that one of the, one of the things that has been thought about is, mm-hmm. well, maybe we could have an open relationship and then we get to, and what does that look like? Because the only model that they have is hookups yes. and that's not what they want. They're very clear. It's like, and, and actually that's quite frightening often. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that is, that's, that's an up and coming area because it's, there's, there is no model about how to do this. Absolutely. And I find with gay men in particular, uh, I set them apart from other folks in the larger queer community um, because I feel like hookup culture is one more prominent. Um, but with the, like with the advances in like um, 
hookup apps and, and like technology, I feel like we've gotten even worse at talking or we have less opportunity to practice, right? So it's very easy to avoid, block, uh, ignore, ghost, all of those things. And so we don't get this opportunity to say, hey, I'm really into you and here's what I would like. You know, we don't necessarily have conversations about what I need as a buildup to the sex and do I need anything afterward? Uh, you know, like people who are poly or kink um, friendly or positive or interested, they often talk about uh, aftercare. It's never a thing I hear people talk about on hookup apps. So I think that's really challenging. I find that really interesting because um, certainly you're right. We do talk about a lot of that. And, mm. and, and it's sort of standard to be talking about those things. Yeah. Um, and I, I often talk about the fact that heterosexual people almost never um, talk about sex before they have it the first time. You know, that's something that, that happens organically. Whereas um, mm -hmm. us, uh, those of us who identify in, in one of the other communities usually do. But there's one exception to that, and that's gay men. And it's gotten even worse since gender. Because there's mm. always been a kind of anonymous hookup culture that didn't exist yeah, in the yeah. lesbian community, didn't really exist in the bisexual community or the pansexual community. And right, in the king yeah. community, it's hard to do that because you, mm -hmm. you kind of have to figure out where you are. Um, so I find that interesting. So now we've got Tinder, it's gotten worse because we don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. Except yeah, and nine o'clock and the place. <laughs> and while that can be fun, um, like you said, it doesn't always meet everybody's need. Mm. And something you said earlier really struck me, um, which is that people are sometimes talking about uh, opening up as a solution to a deeper relationship problem, which I don't know is that it's not always a great idea, frankly, right? I think if somebody is, um, if two people have a similar sex drive, um, but their motivation to open up is that they can't talk about what they desire and they struggle with trying to realize that with their long-term partner. Uh, I think there's some work to be done there. There's probably some shame. There's Absolutely. like another version of a Madonna whore complex, really. Absolutely. And it's definitely an issue. No question. We're a couple of minutes from break. And I just want to mention that support for the A to Z of sex comes from Man Manscaped, who's number one in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Now, regular listeners have heard me talk about my husband and my 17-year-old son. Manscaped very kindly sent two full amazing kits over so that we could try the products. And obviously, I've got no balls, so it was up to them to give me some feedback. When I opened the box, I handed the kit to my son and I said, I need you to tell me how it is to use these products for ball grooming. And I actually use those words. And he looked at me and he said, this was another one of those odd conversations he has with his mother and it will be in the book. So someday he's going to embarrass me instead of me embarrassing him. He did, in fact, use the products and he told me he has been using his electric face razor down below because his hair was getting caught in his belt. And he had started using regular deodorant down there because he hates it when he sweats. So he absolutely adored these products. He said the deodorant works well, and it's got like a hair mousse-like texture, which surprised him at first, and that the uh, lawnmower 2.0, the clippers, were fantastic, and the handheld razor is amazing, and it all looks great. 
always use the right tools for the job and you will stop getting those nasty nicks and cuts. So you can get 20% off free shipping and a free travel bag with the code A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. Sorry, I'm saying it British, which would be Z. It's A-T-O-Z-S-E-X, so A to Z of sex, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping and a free travel bag, which they call the shed, at manscaped.com. And use the code A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. We'll be back after a couple of minute break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive, so we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks and Parish Michelle Blair. You won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your sex energy is your life energy. That's a central focus of The Conscious Living Show with Dr. Nancy Sutton Pierce and her husband, Dr. Mark Pierce. The health of your sexual life is a parameter for your physical, mental, and intimate relationship health. If something is out of whack, by listening, you may be able to identify the problem and fix it. And it's not always about the sex. Tune in to The Conscious Living Show, broadcasting live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This week it is G, which is for gay men and um, relationship models. And I'm with Raheem Thor. And um, before the break, um, I was talking about my sponsor, manscaped.com, and we spent a bit of time in the break kind of checking the website out a little bit more. Um, I love this product. I just adore this product. um, It's beautiful looking, and um, they've done a really clever job with the name. So I'm going to give you that uh, website address again in the code so you can go and check it out and get a discount. It's already reasonably priced. But you can get 20% off 
free shipping and a free travel bag, which they call the shed, which I think is hysterical, to go along with the lawnmower 2.0, with the code A-T-O-Z-S-E-X at manscaped.com. And we were saying that we didn't think we knew of any other um, product that actually has been made to specifically address men's grooming there. There are loads of women's grooming products. So it's really cool to see the men catch up. Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking about the fact that you, you mentioned that sometimes when people are talking opening up, it seems yeah. to be an attempt at a solution to an actual relationship problem as opposed to um, the desire to have more than one partner. Yeah, I think um, if two people... Uh, are both interested in opening up and when they do open up uh, I'd be curious to know like how much sex they hope to have they plan to have want to have actually have and how does that compare to the sex that they're having in their relationship mm-hmm. not because it needs to be it doesn't need to be the same it doesn't need to be on par it's okay if one person has more sex outside the relationship than the other all of those things are fine but it makes me uh, wonder if there's something um, that people can access outside their relationship, something they can ask for, something they can try. Do they get to be a different person that doesn't get to happen in a long-term relationship? Because that part's a conversation. Well, and what's interesting to me is, is okay, so because I do a lot of work with polyamory amongst all groups and non-monogamy of all types. So you've got mm. a couple of different things going on there. Sometimes it's more sex, so it's not other relationships. It's not other connection. It is simply, I want the opportunity to have sex with other people. And people do. They will say, I get to be someone different. I get to take a different role. So if we, t- if we look at gay men, oftentimes um, one person tops and the other bottoms. And people mm. tend to get stuck in that position. And I'm going to, because our audience is very varied, I'm actually going to define. Please correct Please me if I'm wrong. But topping is the person who is the one who is doing the fucking Right? And bottoming is the person who is the fucky. Sure, yeah. Very easy way. But I mean, you know, <laughs> I always assume people know that. And so at, at one point, somebody said to me, What does that mean? Right. Right. So um, mm. trying to find all these things. So sometimes people get stuck in those roles. Absolutely. And they will have a conversation about switching, but they don't want to switch with each other, which is not unusual. It's like, Oh, yeah, I'd like to occasionally bottom, but I don't want to actually bottom for you. Uh-huh. Now that that's interesting because part of that just part of that's great and healthy and just pans out onto regular old uh, fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have a certain kind of if I'm topping, maybe that means that uh, and I mostly identify as a top, there's something about relinquishing power that yes. happens if I'm gonna bottom for a particular person. Yes. Um if I have a long-term partner and I'm not doing that with him, he may have some feelings about that. So that might be it's there's a bit of jealousy there, but some something more as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you evaluate who is good enough or what attributes does this person have that makes you want to give up power? And is it symbols of masculinity that make you want to relinquish your power? Because then are you saying that me as your long-term partner, I'm not man enough or I'm not masculine enough? And I think masculinity is a big part of uh, the symbols of masculinity anyway, are big symbols Um uh, that show up in hookup and cruising culture. Right. For better or for worse. 
but that's interesting to me because I think a lot of the time, it, 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 you know, my experience, it's fantasy-based as well. So it's not necessarily about, you know, someone's more masculine. Someone's not. It's like, I want to have the fantasy of somebody, like if you're giving up power, of somebody else being in control, but I live with you, so I know you too well. And I can't, so I can't run that fantasy. Totally. Um, totally. So, but, it, but you're right that it, that it is a conversation first mm-hmm. in the relationship that isn't a conversation about open, how are we going to open up? It's about what's going on for us that we're wanting to do this right now. Absolutely. And I think when we call it just a fantasy, um, it really, I think I would delve deeper into it depending on what some of the nuances are uh, and what it maps out onto. So if I said with my long-term partner, I don't want a bottom, but, you know, I meet um, this straight guy who's heteroflexible, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. and suddenly I have this fantasy about, like, ooh, I could turn him, I could convert him, or I would bottom for him, right? So there's something interesting happening there about how we value, mm-hmm. um, like, heteronormative, hegemonic masculinity. Right. Um, which, like... Maybe like it can be fun. It can also make somebody else feel bad, right? It, it sends yeah. a message about, um, it reinforces actually a larger cultural message that gay men are effeminate and effeminacy is bad. And, um, you know, that some people are just not man enough. So I think it right. reinforces or brings up something that's painful for a lot of us. And I think what I think's, what I think's interesting though is that, that all of this is about, again, underlying all of this is that we got to look at our stuff and we've got to communicate about it. And that's what ends up being missing a lot of the time, and which is why people come end up in our offices yes. <laughs> saying, uh, this isn't working. And it, it, it's, uh, it often comes back to very um, straightforward skills that we forget that we have or we never had to begin with to actually look at these things and talk about them. I, I mean, I've, I'm aware that um, one of the big issues um, – surrounding whether you hook up and whether you don't hook up is disease transmission and disease control. And I wondered how much that's changed since PrEP came about. I think it's changed quite a bit. I think a lot of people have had a lot of HIV-related anxiety. For some folks, um, it translates into objective risk that they've had. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of other folks, it's just anxiety. And so they're low risk but highly anxious. Um, But because I think from a public health perspective, a lot of men who have sex with men have just been um, identified as a high-risk group because of the Mm -hmm. prevalence rate in our communities. Um, There's quite a few people on PrEP, at least in major major cities in Canada, in the the United States. Um, Over here, too. Yeah, okay. And so we've seen a huge increase in um, other STI infections. Um, Wow. And so PrEP has been tricky. Because uh, officially, the messaging has been use a condom plus PrEP and that will keep you very, quote unquote, protected. But I think most people are like, oh, I hate condoms and now I'm on PrEP, so I don't need this other thing. And right. that can be fine. It's just, um, it, can be, it can be trickier. So in the past, you might have been rejected if you disclosed your HIV status to somebody else. Um, now, if people are having lots of condomless sex, you might be rejected for saying, oh, I want to use a condom to protect against STIs. Because then you're like interfering with this fantasy, this thing that gay men have longed for for a long time and equated with potential illness and consequence. Which is interesting to me because there's some, uh, there's, there's sort of this other idea that, that um, somehow, you know, gay men were the ones who were penalized by this, right? 
and they don't and they they don't get to have the sex without the condoms but being female you know i mean we've always had to worry about pregnancy to start yeah. with but then but then also stis and um there's this there's a lot of fantasy that goes on um in in the bisexual community heterosexual community around condomless sex and the yeah. acceptability of risk but there's nothing to protect in the way that prep, you know, there's nothing that, that is, is doing that protecting. The only thing I can compare it to on a disease perspective, right? Yeah. It's only, you're only pr- protecting from pregnancy with other things. Right. So it kind of ends up coming out the same way. You're protecting from the one disease, but you've got the opportunity to catch anything, anything and everything. Yeah, I think... Um one thing PrEP has been really helpful for is combating a lot of HIV stigma because uh, people who are HIV positive, but their uh, viral load is undetectable, mm-hmm. um, they are not able to actually transmit the virus. So yes. that message coming out at the same time that PrEP is being um, uh, promoted, I think has been very helpful for combating HIV stigma in some way. Um, as for other STIs, I sometimes think, you know, if more people are getting STIs from a public health perspective, maybe it's bad. But sociologically, um, I think normalizing STIs is pretty good, right? So that people aren't saying, oh, you gave me this thing. Now I'm really mad at you. How dare you? You didn't share something. It's more like we're all playing this game uh, and we're all engaging with one another. And this is just one of the byproducts. And most of the things that we can get can be treated. Well, and what's interesting to me is because that's a, that for me is a risk assessment kind of a thing. Um and, and that um, because of the stigma, people don't risk assess. They don't learn how to risk assess. And like there are realities, um, things like, for example, oral herpes, which most of the population has. Yeah. You know, and we don't call it, we never called it herpes. They used to call it cold sores and stuff. It's the same thing, right? So most of yeah. the population has. And so if you use the word herpes, people freak out and you're mm-hmm. somehow, and you're stigmatized. But actually most of the population has this. And so we're not yeah. talking about how not to transmit from your mouth to other places mm-hmm. because we don't want to talk about it because there's a stigma around it. So it's, it's a really interesting one for me. Um, we're, all, mm-hmm. we're a couple of minutes from break. Um, and um, I wanted to mention that support for the A to Z of sex also comes from Care Of, which is a convenient well, wellness brand who make it simple for you to get the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders to meet your particular individual needs. And they help you build a plan that's easy to stick to. I always think that fall is a great time to set goals and create a healthy routine and make sure that self-care is the top of your priority list instead of waiting until after January 1st. Care of's custom online quiz lets you know exactly what you need. It's a lot of fun. It takes only five minutes and it covers diet, lifestyle, exercise, and health priorities. I found the quiz really easy to understand, quick to do, and fun. I love that I got to choose what to focus on. Energy, beauty, diet, decreasing stress, and helping improve your sleep. And for me, sleep and energy are two of my most difficult challenges. So I was really excited to see that there were research-based recommendations that were completely personalized after the quiz. And I'm anxiously awaiting the arrival of my protein powders, which is what I chose. My choices will be delivered as a regular subscription, so I don't even think about it. It's convenient. And the small packs can be thrown in the suitcase when I travel. I also love that they detail the ingredients and where they've been sourced from so you know the quality of the products. The packs themselves are completely combustible as well. 
For 25% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. That's A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. And it's 25% off your first order by going to TakeCareOf.com and entering A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. We'll be back after a couple of minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel have you had a chance to check out voice america's online magazine and blog if you love our hosts and shows check out articles that give an even deeper perspective plus topics about health and fitness movie reviews philosophy business tips and tactics spirituality positive thought current events and even more about your favorite hosts it's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com that's blog.voiceamerica.com the voice america press blog all access all the time opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey everyone, welcome back to the A to Z of sex. It is G and we're talking about gay men and relationship models. And I am talking with Raheem Thauer and um, before the break, we were talking about STIs um, and um, I think we had just brought up stigma and risk, risk assessment and you were saying you wanted to talk about shame. Yeah, I think for a lot of gay men, um, both HIV and other STIs are not just about infections. Mm Because if we're just talking about infections, we all get infections. That's like we get the flu, we get a cold, we get a stomach bug. You go to the doctor, you get antibiotics, and it's a done deal. The same is true for most STIs, right? Um, But I think sometimes what people struggle with, and this is one of the challenges of uh, uh, casual sex in particular, 
mm-hmm. is that when we get STIs, I think sometimes it triggers uh, a deep-seated sense of shame. Um, I think a lot of people, before they come out or right when they come out, they know about this cultural association between being a gay man um, and high prevalence rates of HIV. And so we start to understand our identity as like a vulnerable population or a population that could be victim to or the target of, uh, you know, viruses. Um, And so... I think, you know, sometimes when people get STIs and particularly when like they're symptomatic, so you have, you have discharge, you have something that burns or itches, right? Um, you know, you start to feel like, oh, maybe I did a bad thing and I wish right. it was more like, hmm, maybe I could have used a barrier or this is just something that happens uh, when I do this kind of thing. So like accepting it or making a modification, but I think a lot of people would throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so... Um, I found, like I used to be uh, work at a testing clinic, some people would be so anxious about their results that they would, you know, they would kind of be like, you know what, I need to be monogamous or I need to swear off sex. And that's kind of unrealistic, frankly. And I think often coming from a place of shame. So much so that they might, um, they might go back and rewrite their experience. So depending on where you have sex or mm-hmm. with whom, they might say things like, Ooh, I didn't know this person that well. Or, oh, now I don't know if I could have really trusted what they said. Oh, I had sex in a bathhouse or at the back of a club. Suddenly, the place gets reread in this whole other riskier way. But what that really is, is anxiety rooted in shame. And it's so interesting. It's because there's this whole story that you're that you've been told and then you tell yourself about what it means to be a person who's caught an STD. Yes or an STI, and, and that, that makes you a dirty person, a bad person. Yeah. But it also clicks into the deeper sex shame, which mm. is you're not supposed to be having sex anyway if you're not having procreative sex, which is, right. you know, that's the, that's the dominant culture message still mm-hmm. to this 100%. day. Yeah. So you've got the shame and you've got the, so you've got the identity shame, the disease shame, the identity shame, and then the bigger cultural shame is like you were even having sex. How dare you? <laughs> Yeah, um, and I and I imagine a lot of people don't recognize that, and and do make drastic behavior changes that aren't necessarily well thought out as a result of those really negative feelings. Yeah, I think one thing that kind of irks me or stresses me out is that we're in a community that fights for the ability to you know redefine our own kinship models, mm-hmm. um, be able to have casual sex, be able to have open relationships. Um, but then when we get STIs, it triggers this kind of shame that being gay is what's bad and that this is a punishment because that's a dominant narrative right. that we just happen to tap into. And then what we do is we dismiss our whole community and mm-hmm. our whole subculture. And we're like, oh, this community is this way and it's bad and I'm bad. And suddenly I want to be a very, very different thing. Um, and of course, I think like monogamous relationships can be great and fine, but it's... Um, this person was obviously looking for one thing and then kind of deferred back to another, what I might call a cultural script around how to be because well, it feels safer for the time being. And, but that's the script. And I think that's important because I look at that. I, I mean, I call those relationships that sort of whole monogamy relates the off the shelf one, right? It's the box that you pick up on the shelf and it comes with all sorts of assumptions and, and rules and things that we all know. So you don't have to do anything. Totally. You don't have to examine it. It doesn't fit very well for mm-hmm. a lot of people. 
but that's what we're expecting. So many of us will just pick it up off the shelf, particularly at times of stress, even if you've adopted a better identity, one more suitable to you, when you're stressed, it's like, oh, well, uh, okay, I'll go back. I'll go backwards. Yeah. I think, um, like, while we're on shame, you know, for me, that's such a big topic. Like, I've done a couple of, I've done a number of talks on that. And I think, um, I think they're connected to the landscape in which we seek relationships, whether they're long-term or casual. And they bring up issues of, like, uh, substance use, body image, um, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, all, all kinds of things. So I think the tension between, you know, trying to find casual sex or sex that's satisfying while also pursuing long-term relationships um, can be tricky because then you're in this like sexual marketplace, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you want to, um, you want to know what your currency is. And I think in the gay men's community, there's a lot of emphasis on um, having a particular body type. Yes. Yeah. That right. makes I'm sure you see that all over the UK. Yeah. I mean, so it's, so it's, you've got, you've got to have a particular type, body type. You've got to be under a particular age. Yes. Youth, absolutely. youth and prettiness, you know, that that's the currency. Yeah. And if I were to examine that sociologically, it makes me think, okay, this youthfulness, of course, our world is in general ageist, which is why we have all these anti-aging creams and, and you know, Botox and so forth. But um, if we think about gay, the gay community and um, people who had to live through an AIDS crisis mm-hmm. and actually died of AIDS-related illnesses mm-hmm. um, and lots of opportunistic infections, their bodies deteriorated in a particular way. And so their illness was visible at that time. Yes. HIV is not very visible currently. No. And so one of my speculations is that our valuing and valorizing of youthfulness is about going back to a time um, before illness. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, it's yeah, like, so like these are the golden days. Before I got sick, when we could do whatever we wanted. 100%. And I, I mean, so, and, and because I, I think I said you in the break, you know, um, because of my age, I remember the golden days. Um, and, um, and I was, um, I identify as queer, but at the time I, I, I was more strongly identifying as bisexual, but I've always been quite fluid. My attractions are about particular people and not about gender. So, um, we ran around, there was a group of us who ran together and, you know, gay men and, and, and women were sleeping with each other and, you know, people just across gender lines all the time. Yeah. But that was during that time period. And I remember when the phone calls started. Mm. So, you know, although it hit, obviously the gay community was decimated and the group that I was with wasn't decimated because there were, we weren't having, those of us who weren't gay men weren't having the level of exposure. Sure. Yeah. But there was that we were young, we were very young and we were all healthy. And then all of a sudden we weren't. So I can see where, where that is. It's like that whole idolizing of that time before uh-huh but and that also just, but that comes also comes with body stuff doesn't it as well yeah i think we're just not used to um oh we don't like the idea of bodies changing i delivered a workshop just this past week where i was talking about um how body you know if you go to the gym five times a week that can be great but if it comes with a lot of rigidity you're expecting that it's going to bring you closer to people um, you're only focusing on your, your sexual currency, so to speak. Um, it could also be very challenging. Like, you know, the rigidity around uh, dieting, sculpting, uh, it can be very, very isolating. 
And so somebody in the audience said, oh, you know, well, I, I had this, um, uh, he got into a big car accident. He had a big injury. Um, and for a lot of very real, like, reasons, he's not able to, uh, he's not in control of his weight and he can't be. And I said to him, you know, like, our bodies, they're supposed to look how they look. Like, there's no, you know, people who are manipulating their bodies to make them look a particular way. I'm sure that's fun. So good for them. But the rest of us, like, who don't choose to do that, our bodies are also okay and normal. But even as I say that, I have to recognize that that's not the message I've internalized. I've internalized a message of like, what is fabulous and what is celebrated? And that's like, you know, this Adonis ideal. Yeah. And so how do you challenge that? And, and, and even those of us who've done all sorts of processing and all sorts of work and we're in the field and we're yeah. aware, we're still constantly fighting that message because we're still bombarded by it everywhere, yeah. everywhere. You know, aging is in particular. Absolutely. Yeah. And what? Because what do people do? They're not talking to each other. Swipe <laughs> left or swipe right, right? Yes. I okay. think Tinder might be different uh, than some of the some of the gay specific apps, um, because on the other apps, I think uh, it's quite common for gay men to share a lot of pictures. Yeah. Um, uh, without needing consent, and so uh, sharing body pictures, dick pictures, this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes part of the marketing. And so if you see people exchanging this as currency, you wonder, do I have that currency? And people often will say, you know, popular culture will say, you know, a long-term relationship is all about personality and interest and compatibility and who you meet. But how are you going to meet that person if you don't first meet them on one of these more superficial platforms? Absolutely. And that is where people are going. So we're, we're about a minute and a half from break. Um, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about some of these body issues because I think they're really important. And um, we also wanted to talk about um, substance abuse and chemsex because it's another area um, that seems to be um, particularly problematic with this population in terms of relationship choices that people are making. But, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I always think it's important to highlight the fact that People will say, well, I, you know, I'm judging them. I'm not judging them for their looks, blah, blah, blah. But they met them in the bar or they met them at the gym. Or, and the first thing that they were looking at was what they saw. They weren't mm-hmm. having a conversation. They were looking at the pictures that they were sent. Yes. And I find it amusing just before we go that in, in my community, dick mm-hmm. pictures are like problematic because they're usually unsolicited and we don't. You know, women are always complaining about unsolicited dick pictures. Yeah. In the gay men's community, that's not a problem. Yeah. Consent looks different, but we haven't figured out, we haven't articulated it yet. Yeah. Yeah, it looks really different. So we'll be at, we will be back in a couple of minutes after we hear from some sponsors. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America health and wellness your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at DrLoriBethBisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. And this week, it is G for gay men and um, relationship styles and choices and models. And I am with Brahim Thar. And um, this is the last section. And just before we went off, we were talking about body currency, really. Yeah. Body image and body currency and how um, particular ways of looking are our sexual currency in connecting. And the last thing you said, which was um, that consent looks different in the gay community, but we haven't really learned how to articulate that yet. Yeah, I think um, this is a really tricky thing because we're meeting people in person, but more and more we're meeting people online. So uh, if we think about just our history of having uh, anonymous sex at bathhouses, which are like safe havens for a lot of people, um, we think about current day well, not current day, these have been going on for a long time, but huge circuit parties where people travel, you know, Folsom Festival, like like big things where lots of gay men get together. Um, I think there's a lot of expectation that comes with those spaces. And the way this impacts relationships is very interesting because I think we internalize the expectation that we have to be able to have sex on demand. And if we're not able to do that, what happens to a currency or what is our value? Um, And so I think as a result, we are thinking about consent in a number of different ways. Um, and, and there are some norms, you know, that have been developed. Like I know in bathhouses, people, people turn each other down and it's not like people have a way of doing it uh, without even using a ton of, a ton of words. Um, online, people seem to have a variety of ways and there's no shortage of, you know, blog posts and articles where people talk about the right way to do this and the wrong way to do this. Right. Um, but I think that there still needs to be conversations around like um, unsolicited pictures, mm-hmm. um, how to check in with people. Um, what is people? What are people's relationship to pain? Like a lot of us are having anal sex, and sometimes that feels great, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes, like if you have a digestive issue, if you have IBS, um, pain isn't always normal, and so there needs to be some checking in and taking yeah. the lead. But I don't know if that always happens. So I think there needs to be more conversations about that. So far, a lot of our focus in the community has been, 
especially from a public health perspective, has been about HIV prevention. That's like the sole focus. Uh, we branched out into other things. I don't know that those other things are pleasure-based or like how-to instruction conversation. Right. right. And I mean, you know, so then with that, so we've got, we've got that as a, and we've got the body image issues that people have and the real struggle when you yeah. don't look like the Adonis ideal, what's expected in the community. You can't provide sex on demand. If you've had an injury, if you're differently abled and you're unable, sure. for example, to achieve and maintain erection, if you may be young and unable to do that, even with yeah. little blue pills, what does that mean? Um, and I think, and I, you know, that that's something that affects men in general. But I think it's got different impacts in the gay community than it does um, if you're a straight man. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you talk about little blue pills, I know lots of people that are fairly young that um, I think, from what I know and what they tell me, they can maintain an erection just fine. Um, but they take them anyway, and I think sometimes that has to do with performance anxiety and also poly drug use, right? So we're in a community where um, uh, recreational drug use is like, it's quite widespread and it, and it can be lots of fun, right? I think it can help people connect. Uh, people get high for, for good reasons, right? Like it makes a lot of sense. I think one of the challenging things is um, uh, knowing about drug interaction. So if you're doing uh, GHB and poppers, or you've been doing uh, crystal meth and you want to do Viagra, um, just thinking about what that impact is on your body and if there are any additional risks. I think those conversations are happening, right? Um, but I think we need to continue those conversations and just like the pressure we put on our bodies to do pretty wild things that, uh, you know, that, that, that become the norm. And I think that's what's challenging. So I think about, you know, the average person, uh, not in the gay community, but just the average person, when they, if you ask them about uh, drug use, they might say, oh, I did ecstasy at this time and I was a raver. It's very specific contextually. Yes. Um, talk to gay men who are like, oh, I, you know, um, MDMA or ecstasy, that's just for dancing. But like for sex, you know, I paired it with crystal meth. Okay. It's probably fun. Um but if you if that pairing gets really strong, it can be really hard to have sober sex, right? Yes. And I think that gets tricky for a lot of folks because I think chem sex or party and play, as we call it in Canada, um, uh, it just requires its own set of harm reduction uh, interventions and then also new conversations well, about like if I'm if I'm partying, what does consent look like? What are my limits? How do I take care of myself? That kind of thing. Absolutely, and that was that was the thing that comes up for me. Um, um, uh, this is a conversation that I've seen happen, but I've not seen yet a very good presentation around what does consent look like when people are intoxicated. I mean, I, I come up in old school, and I mean, of course, I'm coming up in the kink community. So when we're talking consent, we're talking consent for, for doing potentially incredibly damaging things to other people um, or receiving incredibly damaging things. And in the school that I came up in, if somebody is altered, they can't consent. So we don't play with each other when we're altered, that sort of thing. But this is a new world and it's a completely different conversation. And, and I think we're challenged because we need to have more guidelines and more understanding about the nuances mm -hmm. and how we help people to actually to do. For me, that's decent risk assessment. 
I'm not going to judge you if you decide to take a risk. You have every right to do that. I want to know you're taking it consciously. Mm. That's what I'm concerned about. You sure. take, you're able to risk assess and take that conscious risk. And then if that's what you want to do, have fun. Right. Yeah, I think it gets tricky because I think the things people do around harm reduction, for example, if you're taking GHB, it's a kind of drug that is very important to time. And sometimes if somebody's hosting a chill out or a, a party, um, you know, somebody might keep track of when people took their dose so that they don't overdose and that they take right. the right amount. Right. There might be lots of needles on hand. There might be lots of um, uh, unused pipes, that kind of thing. Um, I think as far as consent in terms of sexual acts and behavior, I've heard lots of stories of people managing it very well. And then some stories of people, you know, coming back and be like, uh, I, I don't know that I consent, consented. I don't remember. I, I, I would, exp I would label this as an assault in retrospect. Um, but it's really tricky because I think sometimes we go to this point of talking about consent when it comes to what's considered a hard drug, like crystal meth, yep. but not always with something not. like alcohol, which yeah. is like, much more normalized in our community, and that could it could be the same game, just Indeed. a different substance. Yeah. So we are just about out of time. I really want to thank you. This has been great. I mean, I think we could have another whole show on on chemsex. I think I may end up trying to do a panel on that because I've got another couple of people who really really like to have some interesting opinions. It might be a lot of fun. Before I close today, um, I want to thank my sponsors again for this show. Do remember you can get 20% off free shipping and that free travel shed case at manscaped.com with the code A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. And you can get 25% off your first care of order by going to takecareof.com and use the code A-T-O-Z-S-E-X. Don't forget the code so you can claim your discounts. Next week, join me for the letter H, which is for hunger. And I'm joined by Pamela Mann. Madsen. And thank you again, Rahim. I hope you'll come back. I will. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Voice America Health and Wellness. See you next week.